Welcome back to Northway's D Group Podcast. I am your host, Rodney Mills. I'm so glad you stopped by to visit. We're apprenticing our lives to Jesus here in our D Groups. We're learning to love and live and lead like Him. And for a couple of sessions, we've been in a discussion about developing a rule of life. We are reviewing quite a few spiritual disciplines used by Jesus and the saints throughout the ages in an effort to experience divine intimacy. We're giving spirit access to our hearts to, to bring about spiritual transformation and, and ultimately to even experience a reorientation toward others, loving the people God has given us with God's kind of love. And hopefully once we make our way through these disciplines, You'll have the information and the practice even to implement many of these practices into your own specific rule of life. Last session, we talked through some of the basic dimensions of prayer and Bible interaction, self-examination and gratitude, and, and of course, most of those disciplines we talked about are contained within the alert model of prayer, but certainly you'll want to find your own rhythm for implementation. I do hope you spent some time practicing the spiritual disciplines of gratitude and self-examination at the end of your days, I encourage you to make space for God at the very beginning and at the very end of each day in some way. So now for this week, I just want to share with you just a few more disciplines. For the next leg of our spiritual disciplines journey, I'd like to introduce four categories of practices that might help us to think about how to first create the time and space needed for our quest and then to implement a series of practices with that time and space. And I think of them as road signs that remind us that there is a different pace in the kingdom. So let's talk about spiritual disciplines that lead to a pace of peace. The first road sign we encounter for our pace of peace reminds us to slow down. These are the disciplines of slowing. You know, one of the greatest obstacles to the Christian life, especially in our day and time here in the West, is busyness. There is a feeling that we're always in a rush, and it becomes a mindset and a habit. Even when we don't need to be in a hurry, we still feel like we are, and so we feel like we have too much to do and not enough time to do it. And why is that? I mean, does it have to be that way? And probably an even more important question is, is it supposed to be that way? Is that the kind of kingdom life that Jesus had in mind for us? Listen to him, friends. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Man, that's just so good. Here it is put in another way, of course, by my mentor, Eugene Peterson. He says it this way, are you tired? Then come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I mean, doesn't that just sound like the kind of life that we should be after? Jesus is describing a life in his easy yoke. 
It's so contrary to our fast-paced culture, and, and most of our lives are just not arranged in a way that it even seems realistic. In fact, it, it may not seem practical to you right now as you look at your life, but it's important that you not brush it off too quickly. So how about we make slowing a spiritual practice? Make slowing a spiritual practice. I, I started really contemplating this when I read a quote by Dallas Willard. Dallas was giving some advice to John Ortberg, uh, a well-known pastor and author, John was headed to a big new assignment as teaching pastor of the one of the largest churches in America, and he really wanted to do well, and Dallas was one of his mentors, and so he went to him, and he asked him if he had any pointers about what he should do. And so Dallas just paused, and then he answered. He said, John, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John was kind of like, huh? I mean... He was probably expecting a, a rundown on ministry effectiveness and, and leadership skills, and, and all he got was ruthlessly eliminate hurry. But Dallas knew that with a big church comes big responsibility. Tons of meetings and vision casting and strategizing and sermon preparation. And Dallas also knew that nothing is as important to effectiveness as a healthy soul. And hurry. Hurry chips away every day at the wholeness of our soul. Hurry squeezes out peace. It clutters our spirit with impatience and anxiousness. And most importantly, it it makes us feel like we don't have enough time for these spiritual practices that lead to the kind of divine intimacy that we're pursuing. So the spiritual disciplines of slowing are to ruthlessly eliminate hurry and to find rest in his easy yoke. It is a pace of peace. So we'll talk even more about this in a couple of weeks, but one discipline of slowing is the spiritual discipline of simplicity. And as it sounds, the idea is is to simplify life. We have an unhealthy attachment to things and entertainment and success, and all of those cravings give us a drive to have and do more. But the reality is we can do less and have even more, more of the kingdom, more peace. And so for this session, simplicity, this dynamic of the discipline of simplicity, is related to time. So first of all, what you want to do is evaluate your time commitments. Is there anything that could be eliminated? Ah, There may not be, but don't assume that right away. Because what we're doing here is we're aiming to create space for spiritual rest and quiet conversations with God. Secondly, as it relates to the disciplines of slowing, go on the offense to lay aside the burdensome feelings of hurry by deliberately choosing to place yourself in positions where you simply have to wait. Slowing is really also about changing your mindset of hurry and and learning to simply rest in Christ. And that is not a very easy thing to do, so it takes some training. And so here are some ideas, some suggestions. Some of these actually come from John Ortberg out of his thoughts about this eliminating hurry from his life. Uh, These are listed in your transcript, so you can pull these up. Uh, First of all, perhaps, deliberately drive in the slow lane. And then actually pray for those who pass you in a rush. Maybe declare a, a fast from honking. Eat your food more slowly. Get in the longest line at the grocery store and even let someone ahead of you and absolutely refuse 
to count the items that are in the little basket in the express line to see if someone's going over the limit. Go through one day without a watch. So you get the idea. When we practice slowing, we're adjusting our tendency to be in control and rushing to make things happen. And we're also changing our mindset, eliminating those hurried feelings so we can rest in God. And that sets us up for the next category. Our next road sign reminds us to pause. Pausing. I've come to think of pausing as the practicing the presence of God. Another word for it is simply abiding. You remember what Jesus said about this? We've already memorized passages around this. He says in John 15 that I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides or remains or stays in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, perhaps we we think of that verse conceptually, but do we actually practice it? Abiding or practicing the presence of God by pausing is the practice of taking intentional breaks throughout our day to refocus our hearts and to be reminded that God is with us. Isaiah puts it even more clearly in practical terms. He says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And friend, my question is, is your mind stayed on him? Well, not just on Sundays, of course, and, and not even just once a day in prayer, which is a great start, but throughout your whole day, is your mind on God? Are you truly abiding? Frank Lobbock was a missionary to the Philippines in the early 20th century and mid-20th century. He settled among a Muslim tribe, and while he was there, he developed some of the most extraordinary systems of teaching people to read and write. He would go on to be an advisor to President Truman, influencing Truman's ambitions to help underdeveloped areas of the world. But while Frank was in the Philippines, he also set about with spiritual experiments to practice the presence of God minute by minute throughout his days. He actually set a goal to turn his attention to God at least for a moment every minute of the day. His goal was to keep his mind stayed on God, to have an ongoing inner conversation and thus dependence on his presence. Eventually, he even wrote a little booklet called The Game of Minutes, where he teaches others the many ways it might actually be possible. It's less than 30 pages long, but I'm telling you, it's full of creative ideas for this pursuit. You could pick that up on Amazon, The Game of Minutes. Now, perhaps a minute-by-minute turning of our attention to God is a worthy goal, but man, it's, it's ambitious. And Frank would tell you that as well. But the idea is to somehow develop the habit of regularly having thoughts of or conversations with God throughout your day. And so you might ask, how would you go about doing that? Well, I'm going to give you three suggestions for this idea of practicing the presence of God through the spiritual disciplines of pausing. Now, again, these are in your transcript. So how about this? The first one I call first things first. Start with God as the very first thing on your mind. Literally, let the first thing you do in the morning be an acknowledgement of his presence and submission to his will. I think Frank's idea was to actually have a picture or a cross that would be immediately visible to you when you opened your eyes in the morning. Uh, When I was making the transition from night owl to early morning riser, attempting to get up at 5 a.m. each day, which is way out of my uh, old person character, 
I would repeat at night as I laid down in the bed over and over just before I went to sleep. When the alarm goes off, put your feet on the floor. When the alarm goes off, put your feet on the floor. And I would fall asleep trying to say that over and over. And I'm not sure that was the real reason that I was able to do it, but eventually it seemed to work because I've, I now am a, an early morning riser, at least most days of the week. Now, I've recently, though, changed that mantra from when the alarm goes off, put your feet on the floor. Now I'm saying when the alarm goes off, put your knees on the floor. Put your knees on the floor. Now, the goal is not to stay there for long. It's, it's not meant to be a primary prayer or your quiet time or using your alert journal or anything like that. It's, it's simply a way to pause and commit your day to God. Uh, I've been using the Lord's Prayer as a guide to this brief moment, but you could pray whatever you felt like. Uh, maybe even recite the 23rd Psalm and commit to living that way in his presence for the day. Well, that gets your day off to a good start, and and then you might consider sprinkling in throughout your day a second suggestion for pausing, what I call momentary prayers. Designate moments throughout your day to briefly acknowledge the presence of God. Something like this, thank you, Lord, for your presence. Your kingdom come, your will be done right here in my life. And that's it. It's just a five-second prayer, and what you're doing is developing a habit of conscious awareness of God's presence, and you're yielding your life to his direction. Now, to build this habit, uh, you may need to set some reminders on your smartphone or, or your watch or something. And how frequently you, you do this is up to you, but uh, several times would be a great goal. Now, another way people incorporate a spiritual discipline of pausing throughout your day is to pray the hours with the church. Uh, it's sometimes called fixed hour prayer, sorry, fixed hour praying or praying the hours, and it has its roots in Judaism, out of which, of course, Christianity came. Uh, you might remember that because of this practice, Daniel got thrown into the lion's den because three times a day he'd cry out to the Lord in spite of the king's decree. Scholars tell us that the early Christians were continuing this Judaistic practice um, we see it in the book of Acts that Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. It was afternoon prayer time. And what's important for us to know here is that the life of Christ and the early church were shaped by a three times a day sacred prayer rhythm. And over time, the leaders of the church compiled booklets or that were made up mostly of psalms and other scriptures into these organized formats for believers to join together and pray several times a day. Uh, maybe you've heard of the Book of Common Prayer. It is but one of several that have been written and used by Christ followers around the world. Uh, my favorite is a, a series of books called The Divine Hours compiled by Phyllis Tickle. Now think about this. Using these pre-built prayer guides at several times throughout the day, believers all over the world are praying the same prayers at the same time. Or if you account for different time zones, you can think of it as Christians handing off the same prayers to one another around the world. So in other words, while the prayers themselves are most often prayed in brief isolation by yourself, believers are also joined together. It's praying with the church praying the hours with the church. What a powerful thought. 
And again, the, the, the prayers are comprised primarily of scripture readings arranged within a theme and often aligning with the seasons of the church calendar. And it only takes a few moments to pray your way through it. Uh, now, as I mentioned, there are books that you could buy to keep with you at all times, but I'm a minimalist, and so I started looking for a way to do this practice on my smartphone. And as it turns out, there's a church in Ann Arbor, Ann Arbor, uh, Michigan, that has secured permission to reprint prayers from the Divine Hours, and then they built this really cool part of their website that automatically updates to the right prayer of the day, morning, midday, evening, and then even bedtime. Uh, I want to really just in higher... I want to highly encourage you to consider the possibility of pausing three or four times a day to pray with the church. Morning, midday, afternoon, evening. It's not always practical. It's not always even possible to participate, but that's okay. Just consider it. Uh, I'm going to have a link in the D Group website uh, on the page for this particular podcast episode. So if you can get to that link, then you could bookmark it on your phone or in your, uh, your web browser on your computer, and then you can go back to it often. So we've talked about slowing and pausing, but now let's talk about how in our quest to follow spiritual rhythms like Jesus, we actually need to stop. And these may be the most difficult disciplines of all, the disciplines of stopping. Stopping is the routine practice of extended periods of rest and renewal and restoration. This runs, again, almost completely against our cultural mindset, and it may even seem totally impractical to you. But God tells us through the prophet Isaiah that only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength. The very idea of stopping, even weekly, is woven into the creation story and the Ten Commandments. We can see it in Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You're to labor six days, do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servants, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days, and then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Now, the spiritual discipline of Sabbath is not a rigid rule that's meant to bind us or to even make us feel guilty. It's actually a gift to us. When confronted about the ways he and his disciples were doing little things that the religious folks thought were breaking the rules of the Sabbath, Jesus made it clear. He said this, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And what he's saying is that the Sabbath is a gift of rest. It was made for our benefit. Sabbath is a designated day of the week, of course, a 24-hour sanctuary of time devoted completely to rest, to worship, and delighting in God. And that's it. Uh, It could begin on Saturday evening and end on Sunday evening in the Jewish tradition, though, of course, theirs began on Friday evening. All your work and your errands should be completed in the other six days. No shopping, no paying bills, just rest. And spending time with God's people, your family, taking a walk, or enjoying some extra time with God. 
You see, these are the disciplines that lead to a pace of peace. And God knew that the human body and soul needed rest. So I'm challenging you to to really consider observing Sabbath to its fullest, using the weekly break to simply enjoy the presence of God and his people, resting and rejoicing in him. Now, I've got a few more uh, details about what Sabbath can look like, and that'll be at the end of the notes in your transcript. So you're going to really want to make sure you download that transcript this week. Now, let me say just a couple more things about disciplines of stopping. Throughout the biblical record in the lives of men and women seeking the face of God, there is sometimes a pulling away from people and from responsibilities and retreating to a time of aloneness, of solitude and silence. Of course, we see this consistently in the life of Jesus. Matthew tells us that with the crowd dispersed, Jesus climbed the mountain so he could be by himself and pray. He stayed there alone late into the night. Mark remarks to us that before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up, went out to an isolated place to pray, solitude. And Luke tells us pretty much a similar story, that early one morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. Periods of solitude were a normal pattern of the life of Jesus. So how much more do we need it in our media-saturated lives? I mean, we're inundated with noise and distractions and pressures. The normal course of day-to-day human interactions locks us into patterns of feeling and thought and action that are geared to a world that's set against God. Solitude and silence are companion disciplines that help us to truly escape the noise and the madness so our hearts can be completely and utterly tuned in to God. It's the perfect place for the desperate thirst of our souls to be filled with His living water. I'm just really skimming the surface of these two very deep and rich disciplines of solitude and silence, but what I'm recommending is that you experiment with them. For example, I I know from experience that the reason that Jesus and so many saints have gotten up really early in the morning for prayer is that there is a quietness in those pre-dawn hours that is unmatched at other times of the day. And so perhaps if you're not already doing that and your life rhythms would allow it, you might consider it. And once you get there, don't be in a rush. The silence is there so that you can hear from God. But those who have really gotten the most out of solitude and silence are those who occasionally or even regularly pull away for extended periods, a half day, a whole day, or even several days, a spiritual retreat of sorts. Jesus even went for 40 days. That might be a much for us, but I want to encourage you to look at your calendar over the next few weeks and see if you could find a day or at least the first half of a day where you could pull away to some quiet place, maybe like the lake or a forest, and, and just be quiet and alone with God. Now, you may be wondering what you might do in such a time. And isn't that what we're inclined to think? I mean, what we need to be doing something. That's what we feel like. But that's part of the point of this exercise, to simply do nothing and to rest and to listen. Now, of course, you'll also likely spend some time in prayer and scripture reflection, but the real outcome is simply to renew your spirit in Him, your body and soul rejuvenated, refreshed. I've included some helpful guidelines in this transcript at the D Group website, so 
It even gives you an outline of what a full what a full day retreat might look like. And I get it. Spouses and parents, you're probably going to need to work together to make it happen by coordinating your schedules, but it's going to be so worth it. So the disciplines of stopping, practicing the Sabbath, spending time in solitude and silence, even taking a spiritual retreat. But if the road signs we've seen so far are to slow down, to pause, and even to come to a complete stop, then this next road sign is the one we've always wanted to see. Let's talk about what it means to go fast. Actually, let's just talk about the spiritual discipline of fasting. Fasting is one of those disciplines that people hear about but rarely engage. Uh, It sounds like it might be kind of hard to do, and, and probably a lot of people don't understand even the purpose of it. But I want to highly encourage you to give it another look. The role of fasting is to teach us the sufficiency of God even when we are deprived. It is a real-life way to practice the self-denial required of anyone who would follow after Jesus. Jesus, of course, fasted for 40 days in the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan to turn a rock into bread. And, of course, Jesus responded that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so what he was saying is that God and his word, his truth is what we should be feasting on. And so in that way, fasting is feasting on God. And also, in his most famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us clear instructions on prayer and fasting. And he uses this phrase. He says, when you fast, not if you fast. And so it seems to me that Jesus assumed that we would continue this practice in an ongoing kind of way. Uh, Richard Foster defines fasting as the voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. So the idea with fasting is to replace the time that you would normally spend on the activity from which you're fasting to focus on God. And so that could be through prayer, or it might be combined with solitude. Uh, It might be meditating on his word, whatever uh, way you chose to replace that time with God. Uh, It could mean uh, a technology fast. Uh, It could mean a fast from some other particular life function. But biblically, of course, it refers to a fast from food. And so again, in the notes at the end of the transcript, I've included quite a bit of extra guidance around this discipline of fasting including a list of several types of fasting that we see in Scripture. You'll also see that there are many degrees of fasting, from one meal a day to a full day a week to three days, 21 day, and even 40 days of fasting. Uh, again, you might choose to fast food for a, a one meal a day, or you might choose to fast from social media or from Netflix. You might even choose to fast from food for a whole day each week. But just remember, the general idea is to replace that time normally spent in the activity, replace it with some form of spiritual reflection and renewal. Oh, man, I tell you, we've covered so much ground in this session. And and in fact, it might even seem that with that many suggestions, if you were to add all them to your schedule, it'd be anything but a pace of peace. But if you think about it, none of these practices really take very much time at all. I mean, one of the goals of the discipline of slowing is actually to eliminate busyness by getting rid of time takers. The disciplines of pausing, they really only take a few moments throughout your day. 
And stopping is really just reallocating time so that you've got that weekly full rest. And even the retreat time that might take a day or even more, it's only intended to be done occasionally, maybe two or three, four times a year. So as you continue to think about what your personal rule of life might look like, these disciplines for a pace of peace are a great way to supplement those basic practices of prayer and Bible interaction and self-examination and gratitude that we talked about last week. So here's what I challenge you to do. Talk with your D group this week. Challenge one another to practice at least a few of these disciplines over the next few weeks. They might not feel real natural at first, and they might feel like you're having to force it, but you'll get the hang of it. Just hang in there and keep encouraging one another. Well, we only have a few more disciplines to cover, so I can't wait to see you right back here in our next session together. But for now, just continue your quest to apprentice your life to Him as you love, live, and lead like Jesus. 